of Atlantis. Your foul species is hereby banned from the seas and oceans of the world. Any who enter the waters will face my wrath. Imperius Rex! Hello and welcome to a new episode of Third Degree Burn. I'm back with Kirk and we are continuing our coverage of Namor the Submariner. Now before we get into our issues, we have a little, uh, uh, we had homework. And uh, Kirk, if you want to explain what we're fixing to get into. Sure. Uh, we are giving thanks because we have a Thanksgiving episode for you where the big reveal uh, comes up at the end of uh, my issue about who's the uh, person behind the curtain. And so we, rather than just blurt it out, obviously it's a 40-year-old story and most people have either already read it or uh, they've, they've heard about this, so maybe it's not that big of a surprise. But we figure that there's a few of you out there that are uh, following along or maybe have not been able to get some of these issues, and so you may not know. So instead, we thought we'd make a little scorecard here and uh, run through the background, the backstory, and take a look for John Byrne's clues as he hints at or suggests something's not right or what's not um, jiving as we uh, approach this big reveal. And we're just going to see if we caught all the clues, because we have not discussed it uh, between ourselves, but see if maybe somebody spotted some clues other than uh, the ones that I've got on my list. And then as we get towards uh, the summary, the synopsis of my issue, we'll, uh, we'll let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. So, uh, Tim, do you want to start with, uh, with your ideas of what you caught? Yeah, these are my, uh, my hints to the possible real identity uh, to our antagonist here. Uh, mine starts back at uh, Namor issue 10. So we're going back a bit. Uh, page 10, Colin Wing is, uh, I didn't write the panel page down, but Colin Wing is visiting. Uh, this is after Danny Rand has revealed that he's alive. So she's come to meet him at his office. And he's eating something. And she comments, this is a, a thought bubble, about whatever he's eating, has a, a, it stinks. It has some kind of a weird you know, odor. And that is a clue that, why, who is this? Is this really Danny? What is he eating? Um, and then on that same issue on page 12, when Iron Fist proves who he is by destroying her bionic arm, his... Iron Fist glows, and it looks different than the way, I, from going back and doing research, it looks different than the way it has been portrayed in the past. It looks, the hand itself looks red, and it's got more of a, kind of a, a dense kind of texture to it. Normally, the, the, his hand just glows with kind of a, a fire or a energy around it, but not the, the hand itself doesn't seem to. So that was, uh, I picked up in issue 10. I, good. I had that one as well, but I didn't do as much research as you did. That's right. What's your uh, next one? Oh, uh, I I also have a listing that the Iron Fist effect appears to be an odd flame. Now, I, I'm not, I'll admit right up front, I'm not the, the biggest fan of Iron Fist. In fact, I was very unfamiliar with his background prior to his showing up here in, in um Namor's the Submariner series, but I recognize that this was an attempt to uh, introduce him into the series and and possibly resurrect him. I mean that was that was fairly clear, but I 
did not know that the flame effect around the hand was in fact substantially different, but uh, I, we have the benefit of hindsight here. I should have mentioned that. And this is a little unfair because we know the target. We know where we're going. Exactly. Where exactly. you were reading right along, some of these could slip under the radar and you wouldn't catch it necessarily. So um, I also had that, that the flame was different. Um, also, uh, I noticed on the cover of a, a couple of these issues, as the Iron Fist effect is manifested, um, it doesn't look like a human hand um, in, in the effect. It somewhat has scales on it um, in addition to this glow or this flame around the outside. So I have that as, as a uh, third clue as well. What have you got? I've got my next is issue 14, page 5, bottom of the panel. This is when Joy Meacham comes in to confront her uncle and Danny Rand, and she's seems to have been missing some time or missing days, and she's confused as to what's going on, so she's confronting him. She's very aggravated. Uh, and then we see a, a back shot of Danny Rand, and you see her looking. So it's over his shoulder looking at her, mm -hmm. and suddenly she seems to kind of go into a trance, and her attitude changes, and she kind of wanders off. So... Again, we don't know what happened here, but something has happened that looks like after she's confronted Danny Rand, something has changed her, and she does have kind of a wide-eyed look. So maybe she is uh, being mesmerized or influenced in some way, and then that's what gets her out of the room because she thinks that Danny Rand and her uncle uh, Meacham are up to something. Yeah. Now, some of these hints could be that this is not Danny Rand. Not that it's a, a particular person or individual intimidate, uh, in, in, uh, pretending to be Danny. It's just that this is, may not be the Danny Rand that we remember. Okay. Some are more specific as we get into them. Some are more, much more specific yeah. as to who the, the character could be. Right. Uh, Meacham, I think also in that same sequence, I didn't, I didn't cite chapter and verse. Um, we should have agreed on that we were going to do no, that. That's all right. Uh, Meacham also, I think, says something. He bitches that, you know, that uh, the main character, the suspect, so to speak, um, that that his zap has worn off. Exactly. So he he labels it either a zap or a hypnotic zap or something like that. So I I had that one, but uh, it was further down in my list. Oh, let's see. Um, uh, I also have listed here that uh, Danny's personality seems to have changed since his return. He seems to be much more aggressive. He doesn't seem to be the loving, um, supportive uh, person uh, that the, these uh, supporting characters all remember. And I think one of them, I don't recall which one, uh, comments on that saying, you're not, you're not the same. Not only did you change back when, from when you uh, went to visit your homeland. And I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that. Kunlun, I have no idea how to say that. There's Kunlun, I think. That's, that's what I'm driving at. But not only when you came back from there had you changed, but you're different now. Like, what's going on with you? So the, the, the personality change itself was, uh, you know. And I think that's noticed mostly from Misty Knight, who was... Uh, I believe they were a couple. They were lovers before he he died, supposedly. Uh, 
So right. she now, was the most intimate Misty's with him. Black, Misty's the black woman with the the uh, robotic arm. Correct. The, uh, okay. Well, Colleen is her. Uh, they're they're uh, they're partners in a detective agency. So it's right. Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. I just want to make sure I had the names correct. Uh, yep. Okay, uh, that's that's my clue. So I have a couple others, but they're they're more specific, and I'm afraid they're going to kind of give it away. It uh, yeah. My well, my next one is uh, issue fifteen, page twenty one. Again, the Iron Fist. We see it glowing, and it looks different than the way uh, it has in the past. And what I'm using as a as a, as a judge is John Byrne did the original 15, I think, issues of Iron Fist. Yeah. Although the character was created by <clears throat> Gil Kane. So he's had a lot of experience drawing the Iron Fist. And he's also revisited him with, uh, there are a couple issues of Marvel Team-Up where he brings in Iron Fist. So I'm judging the way Byrne at that point drew Iron Fist compared to how he's drawing Iron Fist now. So yes. you could say, well, each artist does it differently. But... That's what I'm using as my judge. Um, and then really, and the rest of my jump <clears throat> much further, like issue 16, uh, the cover itself. Now, this is the issue that you covered, or I covered last 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 episode. Right. Uh, and on the cover, the fiscal is red and it looks a little more um, two-point scaly or textured or something. It just looks different than... What we typically we think of as the Iron Fist. Yeah, um, I, and then there's I see several in here in terms of how it's depicted. Mm -hmm. Each time it's depicted, we're getting a little bit more detail. Yeah, uh, and a little bit more detail. And it looks less and less. A little uh, more reveal, I think. A little more. Yeah. Um, and there's other clues because in that same issue, uh, page nine, Rand tells him that um, he tells Namor, he says, "You can call me Danny Rand for now." And that's a clue that this is not really Danny Rand. Uh, page Good. 12, Rand tells Namor that he has not guessed his real power. And again, that seems to reveal that I am not really Danny Rand. Good. Uh, page 14, again, we get two panels where, where a fist is glowing. And to your point, it's becoming more and more detailed as to uh, who, the, who the person really is. Um, page 19, Namor comments that Rand is stronger than he was told. Again, this could be a hint that Rand is not who he's supposed to be. Good. Um, and then the last one, which is the most revealing, there's a panel where Namor, they are confronting each other. They've been battling in the forest or the jungle. And Namor is struck from behind. And what you see of Rand is he's got his hand hidden behind a rock. And then suddenly he is struck from behind. Ah, uh, good. And then uh, on that last page, uh, his fist again glows the same way. And I think uh, what's even more revealing is the, the issue title for the next issue, which is what you're going to cover, 17. It's called Fire and Stone. And that's a hint. Yeah, I did that. That I love that title. Um, yep. But I, I did not – that didn't make me jump when I was initially – Reading these the very first time, I I still hadn't gone there. I right, and I don't think yeah, I had no clue reading these. Still buffaloed. I wasn't trying to to piece it together. 
I have at least one other one here. Uh, when Danny Rand is talking to, I think it's uh, Misty, he, she's confronted him and says, what's going on here? He says, you know, uh, please, you have to give me time. You know, I'll explain everything. But, uh, you know, he, he's much more supplicant and, and pleading, and he looks um, relaxed as opposed to his aggressiveness, which he was displaying just a few moments before and does so again just as she turns away. But uh, he begs for time, and she says, okay, for now, um, I don't, maybe we haven't seen this clue yet, but uh, he makes a, a, a comment uh, in this issue about your, you know, don't let it trouble your small mammal brain, uh, as he thinks, as he's uh, somewhat insulting her. I guess we that's, haven't quite shown that one yet. That's coming up. So. That's on my list, yeah. That's in issue 17. That's page 10 where he, he, he makes that comment. And again, that's more of a clue as to who the, <clears throat> the character is. But again, it could be just that that's not really Danny Rand. But it's an um, odd insult. It's, it is. It's the use of the word mammal. I think is and, the is and it works because we know who it is. We're looking back and we can say, ha, you know. <clears throat> well, and Meacham himself gives out uh, page 20. Meacham tells Misty that Danny Rand is not really alive. You know, she's again, it's a clue that that's not really Danny Rand. And then the following page, he boasts of being uh, that Rand has pro promised him he will be king of a planet and the most beautiful woman in the galaxy as his queen. Well, that's nothing that Danny Rand could provide. So again, who is impersonating Danny Rand? Yeah, let's and, let's put a pin in that particular clue yeah. because I have a couple of comments about that uh, later on in this episode. So, you ready for a, a synopsis? Yeah. Shall we go for this? Let's go because that we can't give you more hints without letting the cat out of the bag. Yeah. All right. My summary is of Namor the Submariner issue seventeen called Fire and Stone. And again, it's the usual credits, written and drawn by John Byrne, coloring by Glynis Oliver, edited by Terry Cavanaugh, editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. The full-color cover shows Namor and Namorita recoiling from a flaming fist that appears to be made of stone, threatening them uh, by being held aloft. We open on a cover shot of the UN building and slowly zoom in to where Joy Meacham of the Rand Meacham Corporation is addressing the General Assembly. She introduces Kazar dramatically and Zebu, who state that because his savage land is not a signature to the UN, they have no jurisdiction there, and Kazar wants them to back off. We cut to Namorita, apologizing to Namor for blowing it. She, Namor, and Carrie are imprisoned in an underground tiger pit with admantium bars overhead. I'm assuming that they're admantium. I'm not certain that was... It some kind of alien metal. Okay. Namor is convinced that Danny Rand is behind whatever is going on. Just then, Shauna the She-Devil, consort of Kazar, shows up. Namor enlists her help. Cut back to Meacham and Phoebe, who are having a discussion in what I view as the construction office trailer of this large complex. I'm not sure why I think that, but that's what I have in my mind's eye. Um, she's clad only in a blue dress shirt and flat pumps seated before him. She scoffs at him, playing him to boast of his power and influence. Meantime, one-armed Misty Knight is struggling to understand why Iron Fist has changed so, even different from when he returned from Kunin La, sorry, I can't pronounce it, 
Uh, he asks her to be patient, that there are much greater stakes at hand than she can imagine. She begrudgingly agrees, holding off until she can tell there's not something nasty going down. He gloats over her puny mammal brain. There's the clue that I was talking about. Shauna returns to the tiger pit holding Namor and says the generator shack is just too well guarded for an assault. Namor tears the inner lining of his dress pants pockets out and hands them to her. She leaves to find the griffin and using the scented pockets from Namor's trousers. See, I told you he smelled fishy. Mm -hmm. She befriends the griffin and returns with him. Together, Namor, Namorita, and the griffin pry the top off the cage and the battle royal begins against armed guards who have heard the ruckus. Meantime, Caleb is trying impatiently for an audience with Desmond Mars, and he barges into the inner office of Oracle, demanding to know why he's selling off large chunks and assets from the corporation. Desmond, at first, calmly deflects his inquiries, then rises to anger and ultimately assault as Caleb threatens to call in the authorities. He says he needs the cash assets of Oracle to fend off a retaliatory attack from Stark Industries. And you'll have more on this later. As Caleb turns to storm out, Desmond smacks him over the head with a moderate crystal figure and then punches and kicks Caleb into unconsciousness, lording above him. The struggle for control of the Savage Land complex continues, with Carrie indicating that she can fight and wield a gun since her father taught her to defend herself. Elsewhere, Misty walks in on Meacham, who is standing over Phoebe. Boy, males just love to stand over Phoebe. Have you noticed that happen? <laughs> it's a repeating yeah. uh, Where he had belted her. She demands to know what's going on. Misty belts him with her one good arm. And Meacham immodestly says he's playing for power and that without that costume kung fu clown to protect her, she's nothing. Meacham claims that Danny isn't here after all, if she hasn't already figured that out, and that he's going to make a king, he's going to be made the king of a planet with the most beautiful bride in the galaxy. In walks Iron Fist, who says Meacham talks too much. I just love that entrance. As he grabs him by the collar, Meacham says, why shouldn't they know now rather than later? And Iron Fist glowers, saying he'll reveal all when he's good and ready. At that moment, gunshots are heard, and he realizes the gig is up. He turns and begins to ripple, transforming into his true form. Dum, 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 the Super Scroll. Phoebe and Misty both recall in horror as the reveal. Let me rephrase that. Phoebe and Misty both recoil in horror at the reveal as he demonstrates a flaming right hand and a thing like left. Next issue, double cross. I just think that's the best reveal. I just really, it's really good. And it's a great, it's a great splash page with him kind of looking at the camera. And like you say, he's got the flaming hand, a thing hand. Um, something that I'll bring up in the next issue when I cover it is, and we covered this with Nigel and Brian when we covered Marvel Team Up with Miss Marvel, which had the Super Scroll. That in that issue, when he would use like Mr. Fantastic's powers, his yeah. costume would change to mimic that. That's been dropped here. So he's got, a, he's got like a purple. Right. Instead of his purple uh, scroll normal outfit if the uh, sleeve would turn blue blue yeah well that's been that's been dropped so now he just unless he's you know 
And that, that makes sense. Why why would he change color like that? Except for the when he's got the, the the thing hand. That's the really only obvious um, outwardly appearances when he has the rocky hand, which he tends to punch with. Um, In my list of clues, I also had that Neymar was struck from behind because uh, Byrne makes a big point of that. And it's such an obvious. Um, that's a pretty telling clue there, right. I thought. Um, and uh, I think the cover is a bigger clue because it uh, looks I, like a flaming thing hand. I think being struck from behind, there could be one of two things. Or maybe uh, it's two powers being used at once. Yes, it could have been the scroll sur- uh, stretching with the power of Mr. Fantastic to hit him from behind. The other thing that occurred to me is that he may have, one, made that arm invisible. Uh, the other thing that occurred to me is it's a possibility, although it's not depicted, that he was hitting him with an invisible uh, force field bubble of some sort. Which brings me to uh, what I have noticed is an error in how the Super scroll has been depicted. And if you, if you don't mind, I'm going to go into that right now. No, go ahead. Super scroll was originally introduced, developed in the second appearance of the scrolls back in Fantastic Four number 18. And they demonstrate each one of his Fantastic Four powers. Uh, flame, uh, stretching, uh, invisibility, and the strength of the thing. And also, they hint at there's a fifth power that is revealed later on in the issue as a surprise to everyone and the reader as well, that he has super hypnotism, although they don't use the term super at that point. What they do not depict and is important is he does not demonstrate a force field at all, because this is issue 18 of the Fantastic Four, not issue 22. Sue doesn't have her force field yet. Right. And that is critical, I think, because in future depictions of the Super Scroll, Writers who have been ignorant of this have introduced the fact that he's got the ability to generate an invisible force field. And it comes up a couple of times. I don't know. It doesn't derail the story, but it's an error. And it has been magnified throughout Marvel history. Now, you you can say, okay, um, that was an upgrade. He got a power upgrade. He got uh, a, a new release. And so... You know, he, he developed that when they realized, oh, that should be included in his power set. Okay, I won't argue about it, but I do want to point out, every time he uses a, a force field, it jumps out at me and it, it, it's an error. It doesn't fit. Um, and also, well, back and you read issue 18 again, which I did just last night, there are very clear passages where Sue either says, oh, I'm glad to be able to help, or Reed says, boy, I'm glad you're on our side, or you've been such an asset, or that's terrific, Sue, as she turns invisible or or accomplishes something. As a kid reading it, that went right over my head. It's just, oh, that's team building, that's fine, no big deal. But it's heavy-handed enough that now, knowing the reason why they upgraded Sue's powers in issue 22, that they're already reacting to criticism from the fans that she's nothing but a hostage, that she's not powerful enough. So they have been working a couple of times, and they, meeting Stan and Jack, uh, to underscore the fact that she is a powerful member of the team, but they still give her a power upgrade in 22 that 
in hindsight is badly needed and you know we assume has always been there but it wasn't the first year and a half uh she did not have four schools okay i'll get well, off you could no no you could even claim the same with the way johnny storm is depicted that his appearance in the first couple of issues looks very different than it does in is it issue four where they get their costumes and he suddenly changes kirby changes the way he depicts him instead of just being mostly flame he's a red figure Yes. With kind of uh, straight lines everywhere, it kind of looked. It, I, th- I thought it was a great way to depict him because it looked, make him looks kind of like a like a hot piece of coal. But so you could say same with the thing. His appearance changed exactly, and I think that's the one that's even more noticeable through the series and has been commented on more and more. Right, and his strength, I think, is depicted. His strength increased quite a bit uh, between when he first mutated and. And, and to be fair, they all have offensive weapons except Sue. She her power up until she got her four field was mostly defensive. Right. So they had to give her some way to as a projectile. So they gave her the force fields, and then, which you know, Burn would then later use to great effect that she's probably the most powerful of the four because yeah. of what she can do. Instead of just shields, she started making objects and sharp. Uh, sharp things, and boy, Burn yeah. really, really gave her a, a much needed and very logical um, aggressiveness that I, I can't fault it. I don't care if people wanna wanna bitch about it. Um, I give him high credit for for thinking outside the box and and making that logical um, advancement. Um, there was something else that I was just gonna say. Oh yes. Um, Another tangent, uh, very brief here. When they demonstrate the Super Scroll for the very first time, one of the points to demonstrate his strength is that he literally, on the Scroll homeworld, lifts the central power core out of their power plant, uh, literally a gigantic plug. So, so maybe I'll add this on the, uh, the page as a demonstration. But he's crouched like a weightlifter, grabbing hold of a giant ring that is in, you know, that's attached to something that's in the ground. And as, as it's a three-panel sequence, as he goes higher up the panel, he is lifting and withdrawing this gigantic plug or huge um, block of machinery up out of its normal seated position. Well, there's a problem there. He's literally on some sort of a, a crane or a lift with either one of his legs on either side. And he's crouched over, hanging onto the ring between his ankles. As the lift goes up, he's, in fact, nothing but a link in the chain to lift the thing. So I would argue he's not demonstrating his strength. He's simply demonstrating his tenacity or his endurance that is right. the crane that is lifting and that he's standing steady as it, it elevates. Uh, again, it's long, long, dusty, long, you know, 40, 50, 70 year old story that you can sweep it under the rug. But it's another uh, error, if you will, as far as I'm concerned, regarding the super scroll. Oh, yes, he's got the strength of the thing. And in fact, more than the thing, it's stated. All of their powers are amplified. Uh, to some degree, 
And that's that is shown even more so in his second appearance in issue 32. But I'm tangenting here, so we'll we'll drop that now. Now, well, we should point out that if if any listeners are not familiar with the Super Scroll, he gets his power from a satellite or an asteroid that has a power generator on it. I think that's orbiting the Scroll homeworld, and it's beaming power to him. So he's not so without that, he yeah. is he's just a scroll. So he has these powers this beam to him. So if that somehow gets interrupted or or shut off, then he loses quite a bit of his power. That's, Although that's critical in several of the earlier stories. The he, Marvel team up one we just covered was all about. Except in that issue, it was revealed that because of his long exposure to the ray, some of his powers have become inherent within him. So if you cut the power off, he still has some of the maybe more limited, but still has all of the FS power. He's kind of mutated, I guess, over the years after being exposed to this beam. But the there's a and I will post it when I when I post this show. There is a, I found an article, I think it's on CBR, that talks about the the return of the Super Scroll and had uh, I know you've read ahead. So in later issues of this of Namor, Byrne reveals more information and kind of refers back to the Super Scroll about how he returned, because the last we knew, we last time we saw him, at least in our issues, he was in Alpha Flight number ten, and he was shot back up into the uh, I think the Van Allen radiation belt where he kind of was living, kind of euphorically, and. Then he was brought back, I think, in a Silver Surfer annual. And then he was uh, somehow went back to the radiation belt. And then somehow he was returned again. So his his backstory is very convoluted. But Byrne yeah. later reveals that in the, the later issues of Namor. And apparently Byrne had a issue with the way he was brought back in the Silver Surfer issues, which were, uh, it was Joe Staten. So he kind of rewrote the history himself to kind of correct it. We'll get to that when we cover those issues. Okay. I was not aware of that. Um, I, I think a lot of these inconsistencies, you know, we can explain them away, but, um, you know, it, it's writers or new writers entering Marvel that are unaware of the history of the character or they're being given a short primer. It's like in, in um, a Marvel handbook, the universe handbook, uh, of powers that aren't complete or mm -hmm. don't describe some things well enough. So their assumption is, oh, he's also got Sue's force field. Oh, he, he's always been in the radiation belt. Oh, you know, it's like they, they don't do enough research to make it a seamless thing. And for a comic book reading for a kid who wads it up and puts it in his hip pocket, maybe this doesn't make any damn difference at it all. It doesn't. You don't, you don't, again, it's your point of, Different writers want to do different things. They want to do, put their own spin on something or, or tell a story their way. So they don't necessarily try to make sure everything fits nice and tight together. And I think your point, it doesn't matter. It's a fun story. The, guy, the bad guy's back. It doesn't really matter how he got back. He's back. Right. Um, Although, and, as a kid, I always enjoyed Stan and Jack doing one or two panels showing, oh, this is how Dr. Doom escaped yep. that death trap, yep. or this is how or where the super scroll has been. 
never mind the fact that he's been sealed in a volcano without air and without food <laughs> for at least 18 issues. You know, it's like, have you, have you noticed, nobody ever poops in the uh, Marvel Universe. They, you've seen them eat, but you never see them well, you don't... after them break. Well, well, in uh, the early FF, we get to see Johnny Storm take a shower. That's true. Uh, and um, Ben takes a bath after Galactus. Uh, yep. shows up. So yes, there are some some things, <laughs> but you know, there's a point where it's all fantasy. You know, and just right, left. right, right. What do you so, think of the uh, what do you think of the art in this issue? Um, well, in fact, I've been reading this online, and uh, we've had a little discussion about this on the side about some of the depictions online having been altered from the published thing. In particular, we're talking about Phoebe's uh, bikini top. Yeah, but we won't we won't berate that. So if you'll hang on just a second, let me wake up my computer uh, so that I can go online and take a look back at the issue. Okay, it's, I don't really like the cover. I think it's light. Yeah. It's great. It's um, boy, if that doesn't give away what's going on, certainly by the end of the issue, uh, you already know who that is. But I love the the depiction of the flaming fist. Boy, my computer's just being real sluggish here. Um, I'm stuck on the, the cover here. Please excuse me while it no, it's all right. wakes up. I will. Okay. I will. Uh, I will sure. get my information I, or get. I don't uh, care for the opening sequence with the the UN, um, the photorealistic drawing of the UN building. Oh, okay, it's fine. It sets the place, but it didn't deserve or need a, a full page splash in my estimation. Um, that could have been done a lot more brief. Kazar leaping in, swinging on a fire hose. That's, I thought that was a little much. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, great. It's drama. Um, I'm not certain why we had to see this. I'm not certain how this plays out, except to answer the question, why doesn't the UN or the Avengers or somebody else get involved? Uh, and that's because somebody's been zapped, given a hypnotic zap. And, and is not in full command of his uh, faculties, I guess. I like the well, tight cage. I'm sorry. I'm just hold on real quick. On the, the Kazar, because I, I have a red head, but I can't remember. It, does Kazar ever come back? He doesn't, right? We, we, we kind of, once we leave the Savage Land, we leave the Savage Land, right? We don't. Uh, I it, don't recall him coming back in this series. I think he and Shauna, when they ultimately um, depart or they're loose, they're a dangling plot thread that uh, I don't think was intended to go any any farther. But well, I mean, are we we to assume that Kazar was hypnotized the same way Joy Meacham was? Yeah, that's why he's doing <clears throat> the Super Scrolls bidding. Okay, that's what, and, and it all explains that's in what, the last issue when. Uh, uh, Shana came home and it looked like their house, their tree house, had been ransacked, and right. she couldn't find her husband. And and I, I I do would like to put in some of the the uh, the they is it in this one? No, it's in it's in my issue that the UN <clears throat> they claim that the Savage Land is under the protection of Kazar, his Lord Kevin Plunder or Plunder. Yeah. Well, how can he own? I mean, I think actually the Antarctic is is kind of it, it's it's not owned by any one country. It's kind of overlooked by 
the UN. And that's why, you know, we have bases there. I'm sure other countries have bases there. But I don't think they would allow this, that they that he can he can come in and claim ownership of this of the savage land if if they don't recognize it as a uh, an actual sovereign nation. Is that what she says? It's a, yeah, it's a sovereign kingdom whose ruler is not a signatory to any United Nations treaties. So they're saying that it's it's a sovereign nation that is run by or owned or over, over seen by Kevin Plundar. And I don't know if the, the UN would, would, I don't think the UN would, uh, would recognize that. Well, I don't know exactly where the savage land is. At times it's been called the hidden land, the savage land, the land of myths. Um, but at, you know, what, what's the current thinking that it's, under- it's on the Arctic, it's on the Antarctic continent somewhere. Okay. Um, well, and different writers again depict it differently, so uh, it's not a big deal. But I, I got no. the impression Vernon inserted this just as to to head off criticism or comments that uh, somebody else, like the Avengers or somebody, could have been <clears> some <throat> to to intervene and why well, they not. Yeah, and I'll, I'll agree. This this is what? How many pages? One, two, three, four, about four pages that. The fact that he does not show up in the Savage Land at all, we never see Kazar again, I don't think. It does seem unnecessary because this is not paying anything off. He kind of, you know, moves on. But I am, that's part. I am interpreting this that this is the real Kazar. I'm not thinking that this is a scroll or no, no. an imitation. Um, I think he's just under the control of Super Scroll. Same way Joy Meacham is. He's yeah. There's uh, an awful lot of characters uh, going on in the series at this point. Burns got got. If I stopped and counted him up, I think he's got more than a dozen active characters playing different scenes around the globe that he's juggling here. So the fact that we uh, put Shauna and uh, Kazar on the shelf or off to one side doesn't bother me. Except I thought that there was going to be that 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 Shauna is important, but Kazar, uh, I thought was going to be more of a figure. Uh, exactly, I think that's my point. Them, that that he introduced them, and somebody in corporate may have said, um, <clears throat> "We have plans for him," or, "Hey, that's in litigation with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. <clears throat> you you shouldn't be using him." Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, Shall we move on? Yeah, I think the rest of the artwork is nice. I like, uh, we're still using Duo Shade, so that's used in great effect, uh, especially the in the the prison, or tiger cage as you call it, where the shadowing on Namor's face and on his body. Oh, that is you're done. right. I hadn't caught that's what, what it was, but you're right, I like it. Yeah. For a three-dimensional, for a two-dimensional <clears throat> representation of a, three-dimensional space, I think Vernon's done really well with this cage. And it, it, I think it communicates quite clearly uh, where they are and that they are caged. Yep. They are, they're trapped. Um, um, as I scroll down here a little farther, Shauna the She-Devil, or is it Shauna? At Shana. any rate, she's, um, 
she's depicted in an ample outfit that some people may say is just as skippy as um, Phoebe's appearance was, but I, it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with her and I really don't care. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know anything other than the fact that she's Namor's wife. Right. And not, it's uh, Kazar's wife. It's tropical. So this all makes sense. Um, it helps in the depicting of the fact that uh, we're, we're in a tropical climb. Uh, Phoebe Mars sitting uh, casually in a chair at a table. Um, I assume that I'm describing her, her footwear as pumps as being correct. I'm not a connoisseur of women's clothing. so They are I like little... Slip-on shoes? Yes, I don't, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. I'm important, but she's showing an awful lot of leg there. Um, I think Byrne is going out of his way to continue to show off how appealing, how attractive, how long-legged in the life she is. Uh, and I still think, looking at some of these <clears throat> images, uh, she looks an awful lot like Desmond and or vice versa. But well, they're, they're, well, they're twins. Supposed, they are twins. Uh, they're supposed to look alike, yeah. You know, yep. I had that we were going to go someplace with that down the road, but let's talk about that in future issues. Yeah, I don't think that ever. Uh, it doesn't ever comes anything right. What do you think of? Because uh, we get a little more of Meacham in this issue, and he's, to my opinion, he's written very broadly. He's kind of a, a very yep. two-dimensional character. He's just evil corporate guy who is just once power and his own gratification so he's kind of lording that over and it's hinted at because i think he was just introduced in this issues he's the brother of the other meacham that i think overtook the rand corporation and he's he's kind of his little backstory we get from phoebe is that i guess he's kind of been i guess the shadow of his brother and his niece and she calls him a flunky and that seems to hit a nerve with him that he seemed that's maybe why he's grasping he's so desperate to follow this plan with um this, at this point he knows it's a super scroll yeah uh, because he's promised he's been promised a beautiful woman and a whole planet to to rule uh because he seems like he's never been able to do anything on his own so that seems to be his that seems to be his motivation but i thought he was written pretty broadly he's not not very deep as a character. Right, but he serves a critical function. I'm going to yeah. hold my side comment about what he's been promised for a little bit later. Scrolling down to the next page where Misty, one-armed Misty, and I keep describing her that way because I think that's an important character trait. Um, she appears to have only one arm until she gets her robotic uh, prosthesis uh, restored, which happens off-panel. Um, I would have thought they would have made more attention to that. As we get down and she's observing um, Danny Rand or Iron Fist, I should call him as Iron Fist because he's in costume. I was trying to figure out what in the world happened to his word balloons. Um, he's saying, you there, move that hauler. You blah, blah, blah. And it's like it's chopped in half. Um, I think intentionally Byrne is... Um, directing our attention away from him to Misty. And at least uh, as far as I can tell, half of the, the word balloon is missing. Is it that way in your issue as well? It's not on mine, no. It's a it's second panel, middle panel. Yeah. He's pointing, you see her off to the left, and it's 
it's stacked. It says, you there, move that hauler. That's one bubble. Then right below it says, you're blocking the access panels. Okay. In my version, I don't know why, um, it's cropped. Uh, the, either it's improperly scanned or somebody's sacrifices, but only half of the second word balloon is displayed. So I couldn't have told you what he said. Ditto right below him, the next word balloon directly below and two panels later. There's only half of it there. Um, you have helped something prevent the sub from destroying, have started here, will trust me on short while wow. long. You know, it, it's like half the conversation is missing there. At least. I wonder why somebody's that, yeah. What he says is, you have helped me prevent the sub manner from destroying what I have started here. If you will trust me only a short while longer. I promise you everything will be made clear. I know that I have read that, that speech. That makes perfect sense. But again, it's more evidence that you can't trust what's online to be an accurate representation of how the published issues were. We've seen two examples now. Yeah. This poorly cropped page and also uh, Phoebe Mars's lack of clothing in the prior. Right. Somebody's edited, edited her. Right. And in, well, I think... Some of this may have been for their own gratification, but some of this may have been an editorial decision that they had to make a choice since the panels are not conveniently stacked on right. any of these pages that they've, they've had to go one route or the other. Or maybe it's a, just an error, but um, boy, there's a whole lot of this issue that's cropped in online where I'm looking at it. It's cropped off. It's missing. So beware, yeah. reader. Well, I'm reading a, a scan, which is not a scan of the actual issue. It's, a, it's cleaned up, so it's either from a digital copy of like a omnibus or something. And the artwork is good, but it is a little, the, the inking is a little heavy-handed, so it's a little muddy in some areas. Yeah. And that's just compared to previous issues. So maybe the coloring, it's a little dark when... Shauna is in the jungle looking for the griffin. It's a little dark. But they may be on purpose so that her her figure stands out more. Uh, but Let me direct your attention to something else. Um, the panel where Namor rips his pocket lining out. I didn't, When I first read this, I had no idea where that was going. But my point in directing your attention to this page is to the right of his elbow, in the black background, the matting, so to speak, do you mm -hmm. see any sort of a, a shape or figure? Is that solid black? It's solid or, black for me. Interesting, because there's an exclamation point, a white exclamation point on my copy in the middle of this black accent panel, for lack of a better term. Doesn't mean anything, but again, it's, I think it's an error. I don't know where that artifact would come from, and it doesn't... It's from Something to do with what you've scanned or something. Yeah, I think so. Okay, let's move on. It's, I've just got a botched scan or something here. I like the fact that Shauna was able to, um, by just waving this uh, pocket uh, in front of the griffin, was able to earn his loyalty. Um, I just love the depiction of the character of the griffin here. Um, I don't own a dog. I've never owned a dog, but I just... I think Byrne has done such a wonderful job of downgrading him and converting him into a, 
a pet, a steed, a workhorse. He is. He is. Yeah. He's very well. Uh, I just she's had depicted as as a as a loyal pet. He is. He's just. He's not because she's wondering if he hadn't flown off, and she finds him, and he looks like he's caught a dinosaur and he's eating it. Yeah. Uh, and then as soon as he smells Namor's uh, pocket, he immediately starts licking her, and she realizes that. Uh, and then she just hops on, and he just lets her hop on, and then they ride off to um, to go find Namor, which I guess, you know, and then they find him, and then that's when um, they use their combined might to um, pull the uh, pull this this top off. They kind of, they, it's almost like a, it's like a jailbreak you see in an old Western, where they yes. tie the horse to the, uh, uh, to the to the the grates on the on the on the on the jail and they pull pull the grates off right. Yeah, good um, catch. I hadn't thought yeah. of it. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and I will say the 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 panel where where Shauna is trying to get uh, the Griffin to pull and the and the Namor and Namorita are inside are pushing up on their own. He's done a good job, and and it's the top right panel. It's Namorita is pushing. He's telling yeah. her to. To push until your very heart will burst. He's done a good job of showing her because she's not overly muscular the way she's drawn, but he's done a good job of showing her flexing and straining her muscles without her looking uh, awkward or looking. You know, obviously we're used to Namor being muscled, but he's done a good job because you see her, you can see her legs uh, yes. tensing and in, in her arms. Great definition. Yeah. yeah, and the duotone on that is a good done to a good use so that they. Pull the whole thing off, and it and it's it's kind of a she. It gets it kind of comes, and she's still holding on to it, so she kind of flops out with it, and uh, she's kind of surprised. Then that's when the the guards show up. Yeah, and they just basically go to town. I love yeah, that wrench. 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 That is so yep. good. Um, I'm then not get, uh, that the guards would have approached, but I would have thought that they would have been there a little sooner than that. But that's neither here nor there. Um, should also point that uh, Nama, uh, Nina, as I like to call her, her nickname, a lot of people use, um, she's alternately depicted as Tinkerbell in some spots, but she's also depicted as being almost as strong as Namor at times, or, you know, along the same lines. That's going to come out to be important in a couple of issues down the road. So I'm not going to beat up on that, but I I glad that you pointed out her strength was needed for this because yeah. we're going to deal with this later on. Um, I wasn't sure when I first read this what the deal with Caleb um, and Desmond, where this was going. Um, I really didn't know what was going on as far as uh, Caleb being upset about that he was doing stuff to the corporation I think it it makes a lot more sense when you have the information that you're going to be sharing about uh, things going on in the Iron Man uh, title because I was not following it and didn't make the connection back in the day. Um, well, they're not they're not prominent in the Iron Man, but they are they are there. So and they are pulling some strings. So I'll get to that when we go to our next issue. But. Uh, I think what's more important is, I don't know how, I mean, obviously what's happened is Namor left to go to Atlantis and he told, he at this point he trusts Desmond, so he says, hey, will you look after my businesses? 
well, I'm gone. And he's like, sure. Uh, so now he's selling off. And what's happened off screen is he's into he's in a uh, like a, a hostile takeover with Stark Enterprises. So he needs so the Mars Corp needs money fast. So he's been selling off Oracle to make money. I don't know how he thought this would this would legally how this would fly. I mean, if he has been given some kind of power of attorney, I don't think they would anyway allow him to sell off. And then he's off, obviously funneling the money. Unless he's selling Oracle to Mars himself, and then Mars is selling it to someone else to get the money. I don't. I don't know how his little scheme is working here. Yeah, not important. Just that he's tried to do no. something right. that's, that's red flagged other people. Right. Uh, he's probably had advice from the same uh, team of lawyers that have been advising Trump. Do we cheat him and how? <laughs> they would have been much better if they'd gone to Nelson and Murdoch. Advice. So, um, well, I think this scene also shows that Desmond has become desperate because in the past, he's never gotten his hands dirty. He's always worked through some type of a surrogate or through some third party. He's kind of Lex Luthor that, you know, he, he tries to yeah. keep his hands clean so he can't, nothing be connected to him. But here he's desperate. So he takes, you know, he takes that statue and just bashes Caleb over the head with it and directly and then just. I can't tell if he's, uh, if he actually just knocks him out or if he actually kills him. I can't now, tell. Um, I interpreted this as he wounded him because you see Caleb uh, on yeah. the ground with bloody, bloody scalp, but also the, his hands are shifting. Um, he's he's stroking his head in between the two panels as um, as Desmond kicks him. When he's down, ooh, what an evil man. Uh, mm -hmm. He's reacting and he's he's sluggishly, um, he's not dead. But although we don't know how far it's going because the last thing Desmond says is, you are just plain dead wrong. So I think the implication is that, um, and then the caption says, uh, as Caleb Alexander falls before the murderous assault. Yeah, yeah I, I had saw the, that as being him being I dead. I thought he was killing him. Yeah. I think you're or at least I think he is. Um, um, what else? And then we, we immediately go into the fight where his daughter yeah. starts talking about how she was taught to fight back. So I don't think that's by accident that that sequence plays that way. No. Well, and that's the most action she's seen. She's been kind of a bystander through these all these issues. Yep. Since the first one that, you know, first she's in love with Namor and then he's, then he spurns her to keep her safe. Then she hangs around because she's worried about uh, Phoebe Mars's interest in Namor, and she's really done nothing but been kind of concerned ex-girlfriend. Yeah. But now she's she's picked up a, a machine gun and she's just mowing guys. I assume she's just mowing guys down. Um, while the Griffin in the background has just got a guy by his leg, and I don't know if he's just tossing him around or if he's going to eat him or what. But I thought that was kind of a playful um, little picture. Yep. Um, and then we go back to Meacham, who uh, would say Misty is, I think what this shows is Misty is so deeply in love with Danny that she's she's willing to overlook probably what's telling her. She's a detective, by the way, you know, so I think yeah. she would, she should have picked up on the clues that this is not really Danny Rand, but she's so in love with him that she wants it to be true. So she's kind of blinded to not so much helping him, but going along with him. 
but she doesn't trust Meacham, and that's when she finds Meacham is kind of uh, slapping Phoebe around, and she punches him, and then he kind of, you know, uh, starts monologuing about that, that, uh, and he just spills the beans. He laughs it off and says, oh, you know, I'm, you know doesn't worry about, you know, I'm going to be a king, and I'm going to have the most beautiful woman in the whole galaxy as my queen. Uh, and that's when we, uh, and then they think he's just nuts. And that's when we have that great entrance by Iron Fist comes in and tells him, you talk too much. Which is absolutely true. Yeah, that's, he does. That's true characterization right on through with Meacham every time. Yep. I like that. I like the uh, silhouette. The, um, is that the right word? Uh, that, yeah. that Iron Fist is in black against a bright background. And in fact, a dinosaur. If you look back over the last several issues, every time you have a scene of this office, uh, there is a different dinosaur walking past a window, past, it, yep. past a doorway. Um, yep. It's really good and consistent about reminding you that they're in a tropical environment here. Um, but boy, I love this entrance and his uh, grabbing him. This is this is a great reveal. A good question brings up a good question. When Marvel Comics and Byrne do a cliffhanger or reveals like this. Do you prefer when the last panel is the reveal so we see that it's the scroll on the next splash page, or do you prefer that they not show you who it is but leave you wondering until next issue when suddenly in the splash page, it, you follow what I'm saying? I follow. Like, I, I don't know if I've, got a, if I've got a real strong opinion on that. I Because I, I've seen it done both ways, and both methods will want to, will get you to buy the next issue because in this case you want to know oh it's in the super scroll the whole time and that's when you would go you might go back and go wait a minute did i miss any clues and you want to see what's going on right. or if if it would been more of a the the characters or the characters see what the reveal is but we don't see what it is and then the next issue can be a splash page so i think uh, um, either way, works for me. If it gets me to read the next issue, it's all that matters to me. I I want to say that I prefer that they hold it to the next issue, but in fact, I'm not... I, I want to say that that appeals to me, and it appealed to me as a kid, but I, I like this so much, and in fact, giving it the story beat to go pow at the end of this issue... You know, I'm I'm in for the long run. I'm going to be buying next no matter what. I I like this. I've come to to decide. I've weighed this back and forth and tried to to decide which works better. I like this. I just for Burns' purposes and to give you the big reveal and the big sucker punch at the end. I he does it so masterfully that I I like it. But I think he has a an affinity for the Super Scroll because he returns to him several times in yes. different books. And I love the way he partic- he he uh, draws the Super Scroll and the way he's using his um, powers, which is odd that I don't think he ever dealt with the Super Scroll when his FF run. I don't think they ever encountered him no. while he was on that book. No, you are right. It's interesting because, uh, as I understand it, Byrne has stated clearly that I... Uh, his introduction to Marvel Comics was like FF number five, 
uh, years and years and years ago that he was given it when he was sick or something in England. Maybe I'm mistaken, but at any rate, that's his his entry point of reading the, the Marvel Universe. And so he's been there right almost from the very beginning and certainly was around in the early days of the FF. So the Super Scroll is an old, familiar friend for him. Yep. And I think he's, um, so I think he likes play. He likes taking him out of the box and playing with her as well. Uh, do you want to, do you want to pause here for a minute and let me talk about the, this, uh, Meacham's, uh, promised reward, or do you want to keep going into your book? Um, we can, it, it, it's revealed more in my book, but if you want to, it's not a, not a, like a big secret. It's, uh, uh, because what's her name brings it up or does she bring it up in this? Um, no, it's not brought up until let's, let's talk about it after I do my synopsis. Okay. Cause I think okay. it's revealed more there. Um, do we have anything else for this issue before we, no, okay. you can jump in. Um, I'll do my synopsis. We'll talk about the, uh, your subject of the beautiful woman in the galaxy. And then I'll, go into the tie-in with uh, Iron Man. I've got a list, I've got a brief list of issues and why stuff that was happening off-panel in Namor, but was happening in Iron Man. Okay. All right. All right. This is uh, issue 18. Submariner, our cover price is $1. Our, um, our credits are the same. Writer, artist, anchor, John Byrne. Letterer, John Byrne. Colorist is Glennis Oliver. John Byrne did the cover art. Editor is Terry Cavanaugh, and our editor in chief is still Tom DeFalco. Uh, this is a release date of July 2nd, 91, the cover date of September 91. Uh, the other Byrne books, and these are interesting, that came out when this issue came out was Dark Horse Presents, number 54. There's a story called Interlude, and it's an eight page Next Men story, and that's the first appearance of the Next Men. That was one, part one of four that were in Dark Horse Presents that uh, presented the next men who would then go on to have their own book. Uh, Iron Man number 272, uh, he was a writer on that story called Dragon Seed. And Sensational She-Hulk number 31 interrupted Melody. This is when he returned to the book. You know, he left She-Hulk and then he comes back. And this is that famous cover where the She-Hulk has got burned under his arms and he's kind of throwing a little rant and you see his uh, editor on the cover, and he's complaining that, you know, when I came back, you said I could do whatever I wanted to. And she's like, no, you're lucky, you know, you can do what we're going to let you do. So, uh, Namor, Submariner number 18, entitled Double Cross. Danny Rand has changed into his true identity of Clert, the Super Scroll. Misty Knight, who had been aiding Rand, believing him to be her long-lost boyfriend, shocked. Tries to shoot him, but the Super Scroll melts her pistol with his Human Torch powers. He then leaves to engage Namor, Namorita, Shanna, and Carrie, who are making short work of Meacham's security force. Super Scroll sucker punches Namorita and takes her hostage. The Scroll threatens her life if Namor does not leave the Savage Land. The Avenging Sun demands to know what he is doing in the Antarctic, and the Scroll monologues his intentions. Back in New York, at the Mars Corporation. Desmond Mars arrives at work, angry, having to deal with Caleb Alexander at Oracle. See last issue. He opens his office and finds Frank Castle, the Punisher, waiting for him behind his desk. 
At the United Nations, the Security Council determines they have no authority over the Savage Land and cannot stop the exploitation by Kevin Plunder and Meacham. Back in the Savage Land, Ward Meacham remains behind with Misty and Phoebe Mars and tells them how the Super Scroll is going to use the ancient Nuwali machines to melt the polar ice caps, corrupt the coastal rim, and destroy the Earth. In return, Super Scroll has promised Ward power, a planet to rule, and the most beautiful girl in the galaxy has his queen. Phoebe Mars laughs and wonders aloud at how pretty a Scroll woman would be. Back to the fight. Shauna leaves the rest to deal with the Scroll. She heads to the jungle and mounts a T-Rex. The Scroll is going to have to deal with a dinosaur stampede. While Super Scroll explains his plan to Namor, Namorita regains consciousness, punches a Scroll, and escapes. Namor then engages the Super Scroll hand-to-hand. The Scroll uses the combined powers of the FF to deal with the Prince of the Sea. Dinosaurs Shanna spooked trample through and separate Namor and the Super Scroll, who takes advantage to escape and turn on his machines. However, Ward Meacham shows up and is going to destroy the, the, the detonating machines. He tells the Super Scroll that he knows now that he would betray him. Again, the Scroll uses his flame power and immolates Meacham on the spot. Namor sees his chance and rips the machine from its base, preventing the damage to the Savage Land. In an outrage, the Skrull flies away, vowing vengeance. Namor keeps his cousin from pursuing the supervillain. He explains the Skrull has no allies on Earth, and Shannon will be on guard if he returns to the Savage Land. They need to return to Atlantis and solve the mystery of his wife. Epilogue Back on the Skrull world, a legend is told of the beautiful Skrull, Tanel who loved Super Scroll so much that she promised to marry a human. Super Scroll had never planned to betray Ward Meacham. Be continued. You're great. All right, Kurt. Uh, all right, you can go into your uh, beautiful girl in the galaxy. Okay. Um, forgive me if you're already aware of this, and I don't mean to lecture, but for those that are unacquainted with this, Burn is playing reverse on a long-standing Marvel Comics trope. Um, And I've I've done a little research on this, uh, but but, I'm afraid I'm belaboring it more than is necessary. But there was an early Marvel Universe story that was published. uh, I first ran into it when it was redrawn and rewritten in Silver Surfer number two. It's called The Coming of the Krills. But in fact, that's the second time the story was told. Its original appearance was in Amazing Fantasy number eight. That means approximately a half year before Spider-Man was introduced. In that tale, Amazing Fantasy, the coming of the Krill's tale was told. And then it was also redrawn and retold as a story called Shock that appears as a backup feature in Tales of Suspense 48. Uh, notable because it's the introduction of the Melter in the Iron Man main feature. Well, this mm-hmm. was just a backup feature. And again, each time this has appeared, this tale, it's been drawn by a different artist. Clearly, Stan loves this tale because it keeps being reintroduced again and again and again. The basic bones of the story is, gee, it's a lonely, uh, distant warning outpost in Canada or someplace where there's a lonely G.I., Uh, who's posted watching the radar beam, and he's bored to tears. All of a sudden, he's contacted by the enemy, whoever the enemy is. Usually it's an outer space 
invading race that says, we want you to turn off your radar. If you do that so we can secretly invade, then you will be rewarded with the riches beyond toll and the most beautiful woman in the world, in the galaxy, in the universe, whatever. And so the guy ultimately succumbs and he says, yeah, okay, I don't owe the army or the world or humanity anything. I'll take that deal. And so he turns it off, the armada or whoever uh, passes that point, and he asks for his reward, and the person is revealed. Here she is, and she's an ugly um, reptile, or she's an ugly scrawl, or she's an ugly uh, whatever the krill is the first inclination. And the point, the moral of the story is, hey, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, you know, beware, be careful what you ask for. You've sold mm -hmm. out humanity, and you, you know you're going to get your just desserts. Now, each time the story has been told, it ends just a little bit differently. One time, the U.S. has been monitoring, and they are they hear the the guy betray his country, and they the um, they are already aware of the invasion, and they're about to swoop in and kill the traitor. Another time his co-worker that he's been arguing with uh, has tried to leap for the alarm button but been frozen, but is able to wiggle his fingers just enough that he's about to trip the alarm button. So, you know, they've played with this just a little bit. But that's the trope. That's the story that this twist, this reverse, plays off from as we've gone well, through a... this issue. Uh, Phoebe apparently has read that story someplace because <laughs> she plants the seed in his mind like, you're being played, Meacham. He doesn't he, give you a he, beautiful woman. It's going to be an ugly woman. So it's just the reverse this time around that it's not an ugly woman. It pays off that it she really was beautiful. And so... Well, it's I, like the... the background. The There's a Twilight Zone episode. Is it called... Eye of the Beholder, where a woman, you don't, yeah, she, she's in a hospital. She, uh, she, she, her face is bandaged and they've done some kind of operation yes. and they, and they, they pick her bandages off and she looks gorgeous. It's, uh, the, the actor is, uh, the, the actress who played Ellie Mae and the Beverly Hillbillies. Right. And, and they're like, and everybody else looks at her like, oh, so sorry. And yeah, she's horrified. Yep. And then you see everybody else, and they all of them have these hideously deformed faces. Meaning, to them, she looks hideous. To us, she looks great. So that again, that's played. That there's a there's a um, Lost in Space episode that way, where what we think is the 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 evil alien looks like a looks like he's like a, looks like a hor or a huge frog, and what we think is a good alien because he's a gold skin human turns out to be really he looks hideous so you know to your point that's not it's not an old story um but it does show that meacham is not thinking because one i think we've seen female scrolls up to this point and they've never been portrayed as being ugly they just have the rigid um chin and meacham is not thinking that she's a scroll she can appear to any be like any woman that's a good you know, point. She's a shapeshifter, and he's not. But he's he. I think it just shows his stupidity that he is suddenly 
swayed so easily by uh, Phoebe mocking him that he thinks he's been he has been portrayed and he runs off and just he reacts instantly to it and uh, I will say his death is is pretty horrific he is just uh, the uh, the super scroll just just burns him alive and it just the upper part of his body is just is just burned to a cinder. I love your use of the word immolate. That is absolutely correct. And, you know, I'm a bit surprised for a code through book that that was allowed to be done on panel, on camera. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a full panel, and he's screaming, and you get to see him just being engulfed in these flames. And then you see a smoldering body, to your point. Yeah, I don't I don't why they let that let that get through. Um, uh, it may also be that you know, this is the payment for a trader that, you know, yeah. crime does not pay that, yeah. that may have been the argument, but I don't know. Uh, the, the code was vastly reduced or was being ignored by it was letting, I think letting more and more, um, slip through, but I will yeah. say that this issue, there is no do a shade and I miss it because it looks like burn has trying to, Mimic it with his inking. He's done a lot of cross-hatching to kind of mimic the look of the duochate, and it makes it look a little muddy, and uh, the inks are very dark, especially the blacks, and it may be the scan I'm looking at, but the coloring seems to be a little too... The scroll seems to be almost too green. He has almost a fluorescent green in my panels the first when you first see him. Yes. And I don't know if that's just the coloring, but it just looks, I don't like the, the way he, sh he shaded it. I wish he was stuck with the duo shade because it just makes it look, uh, th it's a step down for the art in this issue for sure. Um, Interesting. I hadn't caught that, but you're right. The comments are right on. Yeah. Uh, and we get more of the UN, you know, with them declaring that they can't, again, they can't do anything with uh, what's going on in the Savage Land. And I think that's the last we kind of hear of that. We don't, unless, to your point, I don't know if at this point, if there was a Kazar um, series going on, that maybe it picks up in that, because no. I don't think it's, it's, no. it's covered again. I don't believe he was being used anyplace at the time, but then... Uh, it's a long, complicated legal battle that I'm not qualified to, to relate, but uh, you know, Kazar was so obviously it patterned after Tarzan, oh, yes. Edgar Rice Burroughs' property, and at some point, Marvel has been fighting a legal battle with them about whether or not he's a different character, a separate character, or whether they need to license him or should license him. I don't know where it stands at this point. Um, I think they successfully argued that he was his, their property, but he just never has sold well that I know of. Um, no, he's, he's, he's a character that kind of comes and goes. He, he guest stars, and he'll have a, a limited run himself for a while, but he never has a long running. I don't think he's ever had a long... I don't think I own anything. I don't think I own any Kazar issues, and I'm just very familiar with this, the fact that he's he's in the Savage Land. That's it. 
I um, did follow him, particularly when he was in Astonishing Tales. Uh, I think when he was introduced back in X-Men number 10, um, Tarzan was real popular at that point. The, the Johnny Weissmuller movies were out and were being shown on TV Sunday mornings, Saturday mornings on various TV stations. And so Tarzan was very much a part at that point of the, the young kids' popular culture. Well, there was, uh, I think Ron Ely had his Tarzan show that was in the 60s. Yes, and that was just a little bit later because um, X-Men 10 would have been 1964. Ron Ely's Tarzan series would have been the later 60s, as I recall, but I don't remember ever watching that. But, you know, it was cooking along there, and at some point... Uh, I, I think it ran out of steam. I think, you know, they couldn't sell comics that had Kazar in it. Um, I think that's the bottom line, but I'm really not enough of a Kazar enthusiast to, to speak with authority on that. No. What did you, uh, I will say, I do like the fight between the scroll and Namor. Um, it's great to see where he's, what's funny in this, in these issues, because he's so bright green and the way he's drawn, he looks almost like a like a gremlin from the movie. Yes. Um, but like when he's when he's uh, he's transparent, he punches the uh, Namor, and that then Namor and Burns got a little uh, note that says Namor is using the radar sense of the blind cavefish, a skill he first demonstrated against the Invisible Girl in Fantastic Four number nine. Yes. Burn is digging deep there for a little callback. Yep. I love the fact that his, his, uh, his eyeballs are blank. There's no pupils drawn in on, on Namor's face mm -hmm. as he's using it. Um, I like it. I like these little breadcrumbs or these little tidbits that he throws in. Um, it shows to me that he really knows his early Marvel history, or at least in the Fantastic Four. The FFF he does, yes. He's very versed in the the FF. And we we talked about this, Kirk, I think. Has it ever been established that Namor has uh, can mimic other sea creatures? That he can draw power from other... Like here, he's using... Somehow he has this, the radar sense of the blind cavefish. Yes. Can he, can he mimic other other, quali uh, other qualities of other fish, yeah. I mean, has he... Uh... Uh, Stan, in one in a footnote in a, a Strange Tales reprint, indicates that he uh, may have been able to do it at one time, but he's lost that ability. Um, well, he does electrify it, Doom when he gets zapped electricity, and he says, like, yeah. electric eel, I'm yeah. absorbed it. I think at that point, it was part of his, his skill set, and for the most part, it's been ignored. It's been swept under the rug. Um, they haven't been doing it, but Byrne is correctly sprinkling it in yeah. occasionally as the plot requires it or, or needs it. It they, doesn't hit you over the head with it, but uh, yeah, he has that. He has or has had that ability, but it is not, up to this point, it's not been a current uh, power. Yeah. So, well, the... And I want to ask too about the because we get this the scroll reveals that his plan is basically to destroy the earth. 
so that it will no longer be a threat to the scrolls. And the fact that he the 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 his, the woman that's in love with him, this Tanel or Tanella, how do you pronounce her yes. name? Uh, so that would tell me that he's somehow in contact with the home world. And I got the feeling he was trapped on Earth, but he couldn't get back because he was trying to. Oh, he was trying to, in the Marvel team up that we covered, he was trying to get a crystal that he could fit onto a ship so he could warp home because he was trapped on Earth. And that's when he, that's when he, Miss Marvel threw the, the, the crystal into him. And because he was charged with power, he activated it and he became like a, a space warp and he disappeared. And that's when he was brought back later in Alpha Flight number 10. So if he's destroying the earth, to me, if he's doing this on his own or has he been in contact with the, the home world and they're instructing him to destroy the earth in all its heroes so that they will no longer be a threat to the scrolls or is he just doing this on his own because he hates humanity and he's been trapped here? So I, I, I didn't think, understand that. I think he's trying to curry favor with the king and the uh, royalty on the Skrull homeworld, which, as I recall, still exists at this point. I think it does. It has not been destroyed yet. And the other thing is, is you're talking about this last page, the epilogue, when where it shows the, the Lady Tanel, or whatever, however you say her name. Just a panel above that, it says, throughout the distant Skrull galaxy, there's one tale above all, a tale of only recent origin. So th this is not necessarily, we're not necessarily seeing real life here. This is a legend that is being depicted, that is being told in the bars of the Skrull world. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, so this, as, so what we're saying could be the future. And Yeah, I, I, I take it as this is their version of the coming of the Krills being a, a recycled story throughout early Marvel Universe, uh, being reprinted again and again and again. This is their version of the same sort of morality tale, morality play, that their version that they tell. Correct. Yeah. And it also, I think it puts a, it kind of resolved that Bernice saying that Meacham was not going to be portrayed, that Squirrel yeah. was going to uh, uphold, which I don't know if that's out of character for the Super Scroll because why would he necessarily, why wouldn't he betray Meacham after he's used him? Why would he follow through and give him a planet and the this woman who agreed to marry him uh, for helping him? Because it's, it's much like... Um, uh, it's much like Vader in Empire, Vader kind of helping out Boba Fett, you know, when Boba Fett worries that they're going to freeze Han Solo. And Fett says, well, if he's dead, you know, he's not he's not worth as much. And Vader says, well, if he dies, we'll compensate for you. To me, I always thought that was out of character for Vader. Vader wouldn't care. He'd be like, well, I'm not going to, you know, if he dies, he dies, you know, you're helping me out. So... Hmm. I don't know I don't much about that. 
I don't know. Well, it just kind of wraps things up kind of quickly. I mean, we are, you know, we've had for about six issues, we've had the, the hints of Danny Rand and now we know it's not. And now we've got the scroll and he just, he just leaves, you know, and then right. it, it just wraps up and now they're back to, okay, let's get back to, uh, it says our eyes must turn once more to the mystery, which awaits us in Atlantis. So that is the mystery of his long dead wife having returned. So we're going to get back into that. And we've done with, we're done with the scroll and Danny roll. We're not done with Danny ran for yet. But, so, um, when the scroll takes off as the human torch, he says, surrender never. So long as I'm free, I fight. Sometimes I might await a better day. Where is he going? I don't know. I mean, Namor says he has no, uh, there's no, uh, nowhere on earth he can ever hope to find a friend. And his schemes here in the Savage Land is undone. Shannon can be on guard against him if he ever returns. So I don't know wherever the scroll. You know, he can't... Obviously, he's he's trapped on Earth. He has no spaceship. He can't fly back to the homeworld on his own. So, I don't... I don't honestly don't know where he uh, shows up again. I think he shows up in um, Annihilation, that uh, yeah, I'm over event. familiar with that, but the, I agree. I think that's the next place where he shows. Um, it occurs to me that if he's able to transform and mimic different people he may be saying so long i'm out of here and take off fly just over the hill yeah. <laughs> and change into a different character and he could still be amongst them and they would never know it yeah and i wouldn't mind seeing burn write a story like that uh to show where he goes or or uh you know the hidden what do they call it not the x-men the lost years the hidden years i wouldn't mind yeah. seeing a, a one shot or a four part miniseries of tales of the super scroll and where he goes or, or something else. I, he, I enjoy his use of this character so much. Well, they tried to, they tried to bring a version of the super scroll and uh, secret invasion, the Disney plus show that just ended a couple weeks ago or yes. a couple months ago. Yes. I just, they had, I haven't seen it, but I know there's a character in there that kind of uh, he kind of absorbs a lot of uh, superhero powers. So he's not really they can't use the FF because they don't have the rights to it. But is a version of the Super Scroll in that? Yes, yes, there is. I was caught off guard that they were actually going there. Uh, we'll talk another day about that because I could go on and on, and it would act as a spoiler for the series. It is definitely worth watching. It's a six-part series that focuses basically on uh, Nick Fury, an older, about-to-retire Nick Fury, um, but also lost leftover loose threads from the Marvel Cinematic Universe about the Skrulls. So what happened to them? The, the party that were uh, stranded on Earth, what, what came of them? Yeah. So, that's all. I'll well, say. they they play with that a little bit in the Tim story, the second Tim story, uh, Fantastic Four movie, where the they are switching powers. They touch. Yes. And at one point, Johnny touches all of them, and he kind of you see a few quick glimpses of him, kind of like the Super Scroll, where he's using Ben's um, Rocky Hand, his flaming power, and Reed's stretch power. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised to see them go there. Yeah that movie but the cinematic universe moves 
so much faster. They they just gobble up storylines and and well, interact. And they, yeah, and they will. They tend to pick and choose and pull characters out of stories where they don't belong and dump them in areas and just use a name. So yep. sometimes it's very convoluted because they're not kind of doing things the way things naturally progressed in the Marvel universe. They'll pull characters that are from the past and bring them in the future or they'll bring future characters and put them in the past, that kind of thing. So, yep. um, but that's, that's, um, okay. Let me, uh, we were talking about Desmond Mars. Let me talk, give you a brief um, little rundown of what's been going on in Iron Man. Because while Byrne has been drawing and writing Namor, he's been writing Iron Man with John Romita Jr. doing the artwork. He started in, I think, Iron Man 258 was his first issue. So these are, these are kind of quick rundowns of what's been going on over there. Like I said, the Mars twins are not prominent in those. It's more of a, there's a character called Kirsten DeWitt, who turns out works for Mars, who is the main antagonist in that. But uh, issue 258, Kirsten DeWitt, who happens to work for Mars, um, he has secretly had Tony Stark injected with a micro implant that, like, kind of like nanobots, that allow him to control Stark's motor functions and take over his body. In issue 259, DeWitt actually takes control of Stark to test him out. And Stark wakes up, and he's lost three days. He has no memory of where he is. He wakes up in a hotel room or something. He doesn't know where he's been going on. Issue 260, Desmond Mars, who's now revealed that Mars, that DeWitt works for Mars, Desmond, uh, he tells DeWitt to shut down Tony's motor function. So now he's trapped in his armor. Issue 261, Desmond and DeWitt discuss what to do with the implant in Stark's body. Now, the backstory in DeWitt is his father was a contemporary of Stark's father, and he lost his business. And so DeWitt blames Tony's father for his father's um, demise. Demise, exactly. So Desmond just wants to take over Stark, and DeWitt has more nefarious ideas. Um, and also, DeWitt has become attracted to Phoebe Mars. Um, so Desmond tells him to release Stark and now he can move again. At this point, Stark thinks that he's been having, uh, it's due to his, uh, he's developed a, call it, an encephalo, he can control his other suits of armor, um, through his mind, and he thinks it's a, it's a, like a, uh, side effect of that. Uh, Iron Man 262 DeWitt takes control of Stark again he has, um, he has Stark walk away from Stark Enterprises and Rhodey tries to stop him but DeWitt has bribed Stark guards and has control of Stark security cameras so Rhodes keeps Stark from leaving and he takes him to a secure area where it cuts off the link to DeWitt so he can't control him um, Stark decides that's time to use his encephalo circuits take control of his own armor so his armor is moving under his own control but DeWitt is still trying to manually override his his nervous system so that's putting a tremendous amount of strain on, on Tony's nervous system uh, Iron Man issue 263 DeWitt continues to control Stark the Stark is able to resist with the aid of his armor this causes extreme stress to his nervous system 
Dewitt implant does not, but although the Dewitt implant does not allow him to see through Stark's eyes, so he can't tell where he is, just that he's trying to control him. Uh, issue 264, Tony tries to control an angry mob that is storming Stark Enterprises. Um, then something seizes his heart. He falls to the ground, and a mob attacks him. Uh, Rhodey puts on armor, swoops in, and, and rescues him. Issue 265, DeWitt turns off the implant so Stark can escape. Rhodes follows Tony and saves him with his helicopter. He notices a Mars Corp helicopter uh, has been following him. Tony starts to suspect that the Mars company is behind his attacks. Tony traces a signal and attacks the facility DeWitt's in, using, been using to control him. Stark destroys the building and DeWitt attacks him in an armored uh, exosuit. Issue 266, DeWitt battles Stark with his uh, atomic cannons. Two fight across the city, Stark is overpowered, but Rhodes attacks, but Rhodey arrives in a suit of armor. As a backup, the two Iron Man uh, blast DeWitt into a skyscraper. The building collapses, killing DeWitt. Tony unmasks the man, he has no idea who he is, so there's no clue. Uh, then it jumps a couple, in issue 269, Stark, uh, Stark starts to host, do a hostile takeover of Mars as retaliation. Um, and then in issue 260, 276, Tony explains how he defeated DeWitt and the Mars Twins. So, basically, Desmond has been trying to take control of Tony and use the this cursed DeWitt as his kind of pawn to do it. And when that fell through, Stark tried to take, basically retaliate and try to take over Mars. And that's why when we pick up in our issues, Mars is desperate for money because he needs to fight off all of the, uh, I guess, the legal ways that Stark is trying to take over his company. Got it. I was he's not, he's, he's, he's that involved. He's done a he's nice not, job weaving the tail. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's just more of a, it's more of a, I think Byrne just wanted to use, well, I'm writing both books. I'll use this, this uh, evil corporate guy in my other book. And they're both, you know, they're both um, businessmen, so he just uses him as a way to uh, one at control both of them in the same book. So we'll, we'll, we'll find out more about Desmond when we cover in our next episode, when we cover issues um, 19 and 20. Now, at this point, um, Desmond is, uh, just to recap, Desmond has returned to his office and is surprised to see it's unlocked and waiting for him is uh, Frank Castle, the Punisher. And that's right. where he left it off, right? Correct. Because we've seen in the uh, our last episode, he was trying to make a drug deal because he's still trying to raise money. And that brought him the attention of the Punisher. The Punisher questioned uh, his drug contact because he wanted to know what was going on. So the, then the Punisher is involved. And that's, when we, that's the only time we've seen him, just that when he interrupted the drug deal. And then we, he's made his way into uh, uh, Mars's headquarters, his, his office. So that's revealed. I think it's revealed the next issue, issue 19. Okay. Which will be your, you'll, you'll do that, do that copy. But. What a coincidence. I happen to have the summary <laughs> right here. Uh, I've been well, working ahead. Can't, can't jump ahead. I think I'm going to have to stop doing that because... Uh, it, the lines are blurring in my memory. It's, it, yeah, it does to, yeah. 
when you cover him this way. Well, is that anything all else? That's, I, I think that's it. Um, the, I mean, it was okay. Well, I say this. What? How did you feel about? Because this has been coming for about six issues. So, what do you think of the reveal? The how it the uh, how it ended? How he kind of tied up his loose ends, which he hasn't really, because he's gonna. We're gonna come back to later later in the issues. I really liked it. I enjoy this arc very much. I, I especially as I was reading it the first time. I had no idea where it was headed, but I could tell there were an awful lot of threads and an awful lot of characters on the chessboard, and I didn't know where he was going with it. So I was caught off guard by the reveal and then went back and looked at it and went, uh-huh. I started nodding to myself saying, oh, I see it. I see the structure of the story and where this has been going, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I couldn't wait for the next issue after the big reveal. Uh, which was this one. Um, and so I really, really enjoyed it. Now, reading this and hearing your summary of, of this latest uh, issue 18, seems like it's wrapped up a little bit fast, but I still like it. I think it's a masterful tale. I think Burns at the top of his game. He's showing how he's got all these plots inter- interlaced and uh, I'm enjoying the series very much, so uh, I don't have any complaints except for the scans that I've been seeing. I feel like somebody's messed around with them a bit, um, or a little, I should say, not, not excessively. Um, and I wasn't aware that that was being done or could be done. Um, I'm certain that uh, Marvel and or Byrne would be very upset to learn that it's being done. But otherwise, you know, I've enjoyed this tale, uh, this arc. And I don't think we're done with the Super Scroll, but we can talk about that in future. We are not really done with him. Um, he has he has done a good job. We've seen this that he has layer he layers in plots that overlap. So you kind of have beginning of one at the end of another one, and then that one resolves, and then you get the another one comes up. And he's done a good job of um, sprinkling in um, hints of what's coming on. Or coming up, uh, and I agree that if you go back and now that you know who that was a super scroll, you go back and you find all those clues we pointed out, and probably more of who he really is. So it was, shouldn't have been that big a surprise that it wasn't really Danny Rand. Uh, I liked it too. I I, I, I always liked the super scroll. I've liked the I like Namor in the Savage Land. Uh, I think he does a good job of giving all the characters something to do. They're not. Right. For once, um, Carrie has got something to do instead of being kind of sidelined. Uh, Namorita's always been had some agency. Same with Misty. Um, the, I think the, you know, the Skrulls' plan was a little, in a way, was simplistic. Just to, I'm just going to destroy the, destroy the planet to get revenge, or or, or to point to her favor with the, the the higher ups in the Skrull world. Um, my only big complaint is that the artwork on this is such uh, uh, I'm going to say a letdown from the previous issue because he's not using the duo shade and it looks a little rushed because he is and I don't know what was going on in time but it looks a little rushed and a little less um, a little heavy on the uh, inking and 
I don't know if that's to do with because he's not using a duo shade. The coloring's off too, but that may have nothing to do. That's probably the recoloring of the scan I'm looking at because the colors are super vibrant. Um, but other than that, I thought it was a good, it was a, I mean, other than my other complaint is that Meacham is a little, little uh, two-dimensional. That And he's introduced and then he's gone immediately. He was just here kind of as, as a, as a, piece to move around the, t uh, the on the playing field you know but right. and um, that was i enjoyed it it was uh it was uh super scroll is always a lot of fun well it's 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 very surprising when you have an on-camera death it's very surprising that you have when any character is so clearly and obviously killed in the marvel universe um that they died and i don't believe there's been any effort to weave anything with him or continue the character in no i think he i think he's dead and he's not coming back um which i think is odd because I, I made a note of it what is it um some the scroll says about um oh it makes a comment about um about death and that death is something that you come back from yet the scroll has come back from death many times <laughs> he keeps getting you know we think he's killed off and he comes back um why does he say that i, I don't want to take up too much time but he he makes yeah, a comment that it's um you know so death is something we can't come back from yeah and i had the the impression that that was also a tease uh, implying that that somebody wasn't dead. I, I'm not sure where it is. <clears throat> I'm looking back, trying to find it as well. It's not jumping out at me, but I know what you're talking about. I'll have to do a little bit more research. Um, now it's first page, splash page. He says, I think you were all so credulous as to believe the man called Iron Fist had tr truly returned from the dead. Death is a country from which no traveler returns. It was I, the Super Scroll, whose powers and shape-changing abilities created the illusion of Iron Fist's resurrection. But he keeps coming back from the dead himself. I just thought that was interesting for Byrne to put that dialogue in there, because he keeps coming back from the dead. Um, maybe it's a hint. Also, maybe. Byrne's commentary on the resurrection of Jean Grey and, uh, and others as well, because eventually death means nothing in the Marvel Universe. And, that's, and that becomes a that can become a problem because there's no stakes then. It's like, well, yeah, okay, that person died, but they're going to come back. We know they are. There's no consequences. So, Yeah, the worst example of that, I think, is Wolverine being able to regenerate from anything. And it wasn't too far beyond this. There's a six-part miniseries with Wolverine where he's literally immolated, and there's nothing but his bones or... Uh, bones or his brain left and the entire body regenerates and that was just a step too far that was like oh that's well if anything he's not regenerating his adamantium so he doesn't have the he's not right. going to regenerate that right that's true well good episode good uh we good went a little long but yeah we did um we'd like to encourage folks to give us some feedback you can always post on the facebook page you can write us at uh, gottagetburned at gmail.com. Um, there are a number of ways to reach us. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this arc that we've uh, 
I'm going to say that we've concluded, even though there are threads into the next couple of issues. Um, one of which is the next issue box that says nine wives. Do you know what that reference is? Um, I mean, I can, it's a reference to it's a reference to his wife coming back, but yes, to me, it's a play on nine lives. Yes, well, we'll uh, we'll talk about it next episode because there's a there's a connection here, and it belongs in the next episode, not here. But uh, I caught it not initially, but I I see it now. It's pretty clever. Um, trying to think, is there anything else that we need to deal with right now before we edit this and get this off? I've been having no, lots of fun excerpting panels from uh, Burns' work and and putting them out there on the Facebook. No, page. I think you've been doing a a great job of promoting what we've been coming up and kind of giving people teasers. So just keep that up. We uh, we appreciate any feedback from any of our listeners, even our uh, co-hosts here. So thank you, Nigel, and the others that have been sharing on the Facebook page. I will occasionally share a panel or two from Stan and Jack that illustrate our points. Maybe I'll go get something from the, the Super Scroll, and when this drops, uh, I'll share it on the Facebook page so people can see what I was talking about. But uh, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I have too. All right. Uh, if we don't have anything else, I think we can wrap up. So, Kirk, I'm going to always thank you for uh, coming on and recording with me. It's always fun. Uh, I look forward to we're We're kind of running out. I think we got issue, what, 25? And we run out of... At least through 25. So we've got yeah. about three or four more episodes. Yeah. We're going to run out. And then, you know, we may tackle... We've talked about tackling Alpha Flight, which I really like to do. I'm excited about Maybe jumping in there. Um, but until then, I want to thank, again, thank Kirk. I want to thank anybody. If you've listened this long, I want to thank you for uh, hanging out with us. And for Third Degree Burn, I am Tim Elliott. I'm Kirk Greenfield. Thanks for listening. listening. 
You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.